Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Somebody told Trump about the 14th Amendment last night, and he's panicking. Quote, almost all legal scholars have voiced opinions that the 14th Amendment has no legal basis or standing relative to the upcoming 2024 presidential election. The insurrectionist who tried to overthrow the government and talks about terminating the Constitution lied at 714 Eastern last night. Like election interference, it's just another trick being used by the radical left communists, Marxists and fascists to again steal an election. Who's going to tell him that it was passed by the Republicans and that the most famous politician it was used to disqualify in the 19th century was a Democrat? And the most famous politician it was used to disqualify in the 20th century was a Socialist Party member. Make America... Trump does not answer threats that don't scare him, and he can't help but answer those that do. He's terrified. And we know who terrified him. The Wall Street Journal published a 900-word editorial exactly 77 minutes before Trump's post, and it is aptly titled The 14th Amendment Trump Panic. Aptly, because while the journal usually has the confidence and arrogance and factuality of Marie Antoinette apocryphally talking about dessert, this time the lead fascist Shea Murdoch sound really scared themselves. 
they have resorted to the argument that even if the 14th Amendment doesn't just apply to people who literally fired a gun at the flag or those who instructed them to, it can't apply to January 6th because January 6th wasn't a real insurrection because uh, it didn't succeed. 14-3 advocates are, per the journal, quote, willing to put democracy at risk in order to save it. But U.S. institutions held up reasonably well, despite the strains of the Trump presidency, even the events of January 6th. The transfer of power took place on schedule. The rioters and organizers are being punished, often severely, unquote. In other words, what do you mean attempted murder? What kind of crime is attempted murder? Either there's murder, and the guy's dead, and you go to jail, or there isn't murder, and you go home. Am I right? The last thing you want to hear, and the last thing I want to read to you in this first episode after the long holiday weekend is a Wall Street Journal editorial. But I must underscore that there are two main themes to it. The other one is to equate the January 6th coup attempt with, I'm serious about this, protests against the Vietnam War. And they reveal stunning weakness in the argument. And it's not a coincidence that the word appears in the headline, panic, especially for fascists like the Journal Editorial Board. I mean, I keep thinking of the great Charlie Adams cartoon with the patent office officials sticking a gun out the window towards a packed city street while the meek-looking inventor looks on, hat literally in hands. Death ray, says the patent office man. Fiddlesticks! It doesn't even slow them up! Insurrection? That's ridiculous! Quote, Republicans across the government broke with Mr. Trump and supported that transfer of power. Yeah. Less than half of them, 147 of them, voted to legitimize his coup attempt. But because it wasn't 247 of them, it wasn't a real insurrection. Anyway, Trump does not understand any of that nuance. He might have seen the piece and been drawn to the headline because he saw the words Trump, panic, and 14th, and assumed it had something to do with his golf game and the 14th hole. But he's very much like a wild animal. He can smell fear, and the journal piece reeks of fear. And there's that word panic in the title, and panic in the last paragraph, and the word panicky in the middle, and that's all Trump needed to set him off. Plus, the topic of the 14th Amendment and the disqualification clause, 14.3, is finally seeping into the mainstream media from places like, ooh, here. Adam Schiff said on MSNBC over the weekend that it should be used against Trump. ABC News did a long piece on it. Politico humiliated itself as usual, but it did get it into the discourse. The sleeper legal fight that could define 2024. Is Trump even eligible to run? Which is a better headline, I guess, than what I would have predicted. This one weird trick could make Chris Christie the Republican nominee. Trumpians hate it. The journal notwithstanding... And one last thing, to extrapolate using their theory that there are no unsuccessful insurrections, I await their next editorial explaining that the whole Confederacy, slavery, battle between the states thing wasn't really a civil war because President Lincoln might have been killed, but not the government. It is a good time to note again that the 14th was used 
a year ago to expel a sitting local official in New Mexico. And Coy Griffin had been convicted only of a misdemeanor trespass charge. And he didn't even try to appeal. And the Republican Party didn't even try to appeal. Oh, and it did keep the vice president of the Confederacy out of the Senate after he won election as a Democrat in 1866. And Alexander Stevens, by the way, had been convicted of nothing. He was arrested for treason on May 11th, 1865, released from prison in October without even going to trial, kept out of the Senate at first by the remaining military occupation laws in the wake of the Lincoln assassination. And the third clause was included in the 14th Amendment, which is basically about everything but the rebellion, largely to give the government a way to legally keep unrepentant Southerners like Stevens out permanently. It was adopted on July 9, 1868, and they used it to keep Stevens out of the Senate. By 1872, when he began to run for the House, a different spirit was abroad in the land. A Confederate Amnesty Act passed that May, and Stevens slipped in and served nearly nine years in the House, even though all that time he continued to insist that secession was constitutionally protected and that the war was all Northern aggression. In 1919, 14-3 was used to keep a congressman-elect, Victor Berger of Wisconsin, literally a member of the Socialist Party, out of the House because he had been convicted of violating the Espionage Act during the First World War when he opposed U.S. entry into it. Berger sued. It went to the Supreme Court. The court said that was not enough, and he was seated in 1921. The point, of course, is that Stevens was kept out even though he was never convicted of anything, never even tried for anything, and he was readmitted only after a congressionally approved amnesty. 14-3 was then used to keep Victor Berger out until the Supreme Court ruled it was his conviction that was excessive, not his disqualification from serving in the House. And while a legal bid to knock Marjorie Taylor Greene off the ballot last year because of the 14th came to nothing, it did produce several rulings, largely unresolved, that sitting members of Congress could be expelled for participating in rebellion. And of course, the biggest question is this. Do you have to be convicted of insurrection to be banned from serving as president? The Supreme Court would, of course, rule whichever way would get Alito and Thomas the most frequent flyer miles. But otherwise, the answer seems to be no. There is a law on the books written to enforce 14.3. It's 18 U.S. Code 2383, quote, whoever incites, sets on foot, assists or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof, or gives aid or comfort thereto, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. So in Code 2383, you can be banned for rebellion, for insurrection, for assisting in either, for inciting it, for giving aid or comfort to those who did, and best of all, for setting it on foot. Setting it on foot. If any phrase in any statute anywhere better applies to what Trump did on January 6th than setting rebellion and insurrection on foot, I'd like to see it. Trump could wind up being Victor Berger, convicted of 
anything under the umbrella of the Espionage Act. Or he could be Coy Griffin, convicted of misdemeanor trespass. Or he could be Alexander Stevens, convicted of nothing at all. So Trump is not only panicking about the 14th Amendment, he has good reason to. Of course, Trump could still be convicted of everything, and if he is, Mark Meadows gets the game ball. We underestimated two things about Mark Meadows last week, how dumb he is and how much he convicted himself when he took the amazingly risky chance of testifying for three hours in a procedural long-shot hearing to try to get himself a whiter jury pool in northern Virginia rather than the one in Atlanta. Portions of the transcript came out after the holiday weekend began, and he really is a complete dope. They asked why, if he was acting under color of his office as a White House official, and the trial should be moved to federal court and not acting as a mere part of Trump's political gang, why, if that was the case, he got involved in the fake elector scheme? Quote, it was mentioned to me that there was litigation going on and that you had to have a provisional or conditional elector. And what I didn't want to happen was for the campaign to prevail in certain areas and then not have this. Well, first off, he just mentioned the campaign. He wanted something for the campaign. That's not his office. That's his campaign. And then the follow-up question to Meadows was, why did you not want that to happen? Answer, quote, well, because I knew I would get yelled at if we had not. What? Follow-up question to Meadows, by whom? Answer, Meadows, quote, by the President of the United States. Uh, yeah, that's really a bad answer, Mark. Meadows just confessed to acting not on behalf of the president under color of office, but for the campaign. He used similar words, quote, for the campaign and out of fear of getting yelled at, which means Trump was fully involved in a political scheme, which also means Trump got Meadows fully involved in a political scheme, which is a third problem because Meadows had insisted he did not play, quote, any role in the fake elector scheme, and then he not only admitted it, but the prosecution also produced an email in which Meadows had written, we just need to have someone coordinating the electors for the states. There is an excellent chance now that the district attorney of Fulton County adds at least one perjury charge against Mark Meadows. And he's also not going to get the trial reassigned to federal court because, as the impeccable Ryan Goodman of Just Security notes, remember when the judge asked both sides last week if all of Meadows' actions had to be under color of his office or if it was enough for just one of them to be? There's an easy-to-miss reverse image there. The judge is also saying, oh, by the way, what does it mean if at least one and maybe all but one of Meadows' actions was not under color of his office. And now we know which one would be at least one. I have long assumed here that at the federal level, Mark Meadows either flipped on Trump or simply gave Jack Smith everything he had on him without formally agreeing to testify against him. Doing the same in Georgia must be flying through the mind of his attorney right now because Meadows has dug himself a really deep pit that ends in a penitentiary. 
And one more note on this bid to sever trials and go to federal court in Georgia, no matter what the price. And boy, oh boy, the price turns out to be really high. This is from Randall Eliason of George Washington University Law, and it's lawyer and nerd humor, but it's pretty good lawyer and nerd humor. If Ken Cheeseboro ends up being tried by himself in Georgia, the headline should be, The Cheese Stands Alone. But if he ends up being tried with Sidney Powell, of course, then it's Cheese and Kraken. <laughs> Cheese and cracking. One last note here. The website Decision Desk HQ, first big one to call 2020 for Biden, by the way, had a really good quick write-up erasing one of the most widespread assumptions about the indictments of Donald Trump. No, they are not helping him in the polls, either in the Republican primary polls or in the general election matchup polls. One of the great gnawing undercurrents of fear in this whole thing what if prosecuting him just gets him elected has no basis in reality? Unquestionably, Trump has raised money off the prosecutions, but even most of that seems predicated on the assumption that Trump would not have raised similar amounts of money in a similar time frame anyway. But Decision Desk notes, A, that a few weeks ago, Elliot Morris at ABC News wrote, Trump's lead in the 2024 primary hasn't shifted significantly since the third indictment was unsealed on August 1st. It then notes that last week, Charles Franklin of the Marquette Law Poll said even that was wrong. Quoting Franklin, the indictments of Donald Trump have not boosted him in the polls, either for favorability or for his support in the GOP primary. This claim keeps getting repeated as if the data support it. It does not, unquote. And this, unlike most data, is not hard to parse. Franklin notes that any growth in Trump's lead in the GOP race has had nothing to do with him or the indictments or anything pertaining to him. This is all about DeSantis's numbers collapsing. Quoting Charles Franklin Marquette Law Poll again, there has been very little trend in Trump's primary vote. Unquote. Also of interest here, after this past weekend, Anybody got any remaining questions about Elon Musk? Oh, he's pro-free speech and anti-anti-Semitism. And then he says the reason Twitter advertising has crashed is the Anti-Defamation League. And then there's all sorts of things about what the Anti-Defamation did to conspire against him. So he's going to sue them. Have fun in discovery, nitwit. Also, all's well at CNN. The new guy starts in a month and four days, so this is the golden time for him, when nothing bad is his fault and anything good is a reflection of his wisdom. And don't pay any attention to that little incident from the BBC when he leaned over in the middle of a friendly conversation with a BBC colleague and suddenly bit the guy in the arm hard enough to leave marks. This is CNN. Our new boss may be a vampire. That's next. This is Countdown. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline CNN World Headquarters, Hudson Yards, New York. Well, the Chris Licht era is just a memory now, and CNN is in the wise and comforting hands of former BBC and New York Times Chief Mark Thompson. And the controversies and the biting pain of the last year are gone. And wait, what? A former BBC reporter and producer said Mark Thompson once bit him in the newsroom, and the BBC confirmed it but claimed it was horseplay. I'm going to avoid getting too deep in the woods here. So let me just read some of the original story by Richard Kay in Britain's tabloid The Daily Mail from April 13th, 2012. Quote, he has always enjoyed a reputation as a controversial figure, but last night an extraordinary story about how BBC Director General Mark Thompson bit a newsroom colleague was sweeping the corridors of the corporation. 
The bizarre, apparently unprovoked attack was on senior television journalist Anthony Massey. Thompson's 44-year-old victim suffered clear bite marks through his shirt and immediately reported the incident. Their bosses were so determined to hush up the affair, however, that Massey was promptly sent to Rwanda on a perilous assignment. And Thompson, then a rising star, was allowed to continue his soaring career unhindered. The story has only become public thanks to a leaked email exchange between Newsnight presenter Jeremy Paxman and Massey, in which Paxman observes that the director general is, quote, quite clearly insane, unquote. A spokesman for Thompson last night confirmed the story but claimed it was, quote, horseplay. The tale began to make its way into the public domain when Paxman emailed Massey, who is now on the BBC's foreign news desk, but long worked in Bosnia and elsewhere as Kate Aidy's producer. As an aside, I don't have any idea who Kate Aidy is. I probably should have Googled her. Paxman asked, I've got to interview Mark Thompson tomorrow. Is it true that he once bit you? Unquote. Massey replied too late for the big interview, but gave full detail. It is absolutely true, he said. It was 1988 when he was the newly appointed editor of the 9 o'clock news, and I was a home news organizer. Again, I probably should have Googled that. Home news organizer? It was 9.15 in the morning. According to the victim, I went up to his desk to talk about some story. I was standing next to him on his right, and he was sitting reading his horoscope in the Daily Star. I always remember that detail. Before I could say a word, he suddenly turned, snarled, and sank his teeth into my left upper arm, leaving marks through the shirt but not drawing blood. It hurt. I pulled my arm out of his jaws like a stick out of the jaws of a Labrador. The key thing is, we didn't have a row first or even speak, and I had never had any dispute with him. He was just recently arrived in the newsroom, and I hardly knew him. He just bit me in the arm for no reason without any warning or preamble. I don't think it was personal, the victim continued. Something turned in his brain, and anyone who had been standing there at that moment would have been bitten. Linda from the T-Bar, the BBC chairman, Keith Graves, anyone. Again, I should have Googled those people. It just happened to be me. Thompson didn't apologize or explain, so I went to complain to my then boss, Chris Kramer. All Kramer said was, quote, this whole place is full of effing headbangers, unquote, which was a fair point and indeed is still true, but didn't help somehow. I wanted to bring the whole BBC disciplinary process down on Thompson's head, but Kramer was desperate for that not to happen. So I got sent abroad on some story for a month or so, and when I came back, it had lost momentum and I never pursued it. Massey added that, quote, in those days, it seemed quite acceptable for senior people to bite junior colleagues, unquote. The BBC said, quote, Mark did bite him, but it wasn't intended to hurt him. He thought he was doing something funny. When he was later told that Anthony thought he had gone for him, Mark went up and said sorry and tried to make amends. Mark does remember the incident because he remembers Anthony took it the wrong way. It was horseplay. Unquote. Richard Kay in the Daily Mail of April 13, 2012. The new chairman of CNN, everybody. Clearly management, once bitten, twice shy. So, the vetting process is still top rate, 
over there. Memo to CNN staff and my friends who still work there. If you're in an argument with your new boss, Mark Thompson, whatever you do, do not say, Mark, bite me. Still ahead on Countdown, ah, back to school, September in New York. It's opened with a real feel of 92 degrees. And still, I cannot and will never shake the sense that it is now winter, because this is the month school starts. Moreover, this month of September never starts without me thinking of the superstar Cornell history professor who once nearly failed all of us in his class because the New York football giants lost a game. Things I promise not to tell coming up. First time for the Daily Roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze Matt, the sound of one hand slapping, slap, and his wife Mercedes. And Mercedes is either an idiot or very, very broad-minded. The Daily Beast reports that after a bunch of employees resigned in protest from his little fascist insurrectionist CPAC last year, that's spring of 2022, the Schlapps brought in a priest to CPAC headquarters and conducted an exorcism. And this was before we found out about the allegations from the Herschel Walker campaign staffer that Schlapp had groped him. Holy water, medallions, incantations, everything but biting some guy on the arm. We'll never know if Schlapp used either of the money quotes from the movie, by the way, on the Herschel staffer. Is there someone inside you? And the power of Christ compels you. Or did he just sort of freeform on it? Hey, did I tell you about the exorcism in my pants? The runners-up, St. Mary's Ukrainian Catholic Cemetery in Elkins Park, Pennsylvania. Yeah, there's an invisible thread stretching through today's worsts. Now, this is a topic fraught with political implications, but that does not make this story any less true nor any less troublesome. The cemetery contains, per the Philadelphia Inquirer, a, quote, large stone cross honoring Nazi collaborators. That's right, a monument on U.S. soil honoring Nazi collaborators, using the tortured logic that since some Ukrainians fought with the Nazis late in the Second World War against the Russians, they were kind of okay. This monument near Philadelphia was erected sometime in the 90s to honor the Galician unit that fought with the SS. The paper quotes Ukrainian history expert John Paul Himka. The unit, quote, helped suppress the Slovak uprising. It was involved in atrocities against Poles and Slovaks. It welcomed into its ranks many perpetrators of the ethnic cleansing against the Polish population and of the Holocaust. It propagated anti-Semitism and seems to have been involved in a roundup of Jews in Brody in 1944, unquote. This was one of the Ukrainian units condemned by Ukrainian President Zelensky in 2021. And we've got a monument dedicated to them near Philly. And by the way, it's one of apparently 42 monuments honoring Nazis, usually individual Nazis, on American soil. Which brings us via the invisible thread to today's winner, Elon Musk. Quote, to be super clear, I'm pro-free speech, he tweeted at 12.30 yesterday, but against anti-Semitism of any kind. This was so untrue that within half an hour, Musk, who had spent the weekend amplifying the hashtag ban the ADL, 
had gone full anti-Semitic trope. Quote, since the acquisition, he means of Twitter by him, the ADL has been trying to kill this platform by falsely accusing it and me of being anti-Semitic. And then, quote, our U.S. advertising revenue is still down 60%, primarily due to pressure on advertisers by ADL. That's what advertisers tell us. So they almost succeeded in killing X slash Twitter, exclamation point, unquote. So, uh, how many different anti-Jewish cliches and tropes can you put in one paragraph? This might be the record here by Musk. Let's see, you got one, the uh, the Jews control the media in here. You've got two, the Jews have undue influence over business. You got three, the Jews control all the money. You got four, it's all the Jews' fault. And best of all, you've got five, there's a Jewish conspiracy against fill in the blank. Elon Musk. Well, Elon, if you're not an anti-Semite, you better have a really good alternative explanation like insanity or acute physical illness, because guess what? You, Musk, are behaving exactly the way an anti-Semite behaves. And the rest of us pretty much have to respond the way we would to an anti-Semite who was running an anti-Semitic website. Elon Musk, today's worst person in the world. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Finally, to the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me, 
and things I promised not to tell. So, September again. I literally don't know anybody who ever shakes the childhood dread of back-to-school days in August and the beginning of September. Third grade, high school, college, doesn't matter. 44 degrees, 94 degrees, doesn't matter. It's September, and by now the dread, even if you liked school, remains. Until the day you die. Especially if it invokes memories like the one I have about the day I nearly failed a four-credit course in college because of a fumble in a professional football game. 44 years ago this week, I actually walked reluctantly but proudly into a class at Cornell University, if I remember correctly, to get into Professor Joel Silby's 19th century American history course, eight credits spanning two semesters. I had to get special permission from the history department because I was not a history major. I just took all the history classes they would let me, and this was one of the best ones. And I remember Professor Silby's first lecture and the accent and the mannerisms that quickly identified him not only as a fellow native New Yorker, but as a Brooklynite and a Brooklynite fan of, as he quickly told us, the New York football giants. What Professor Joel Silby said next caused the, I think it was 200 or so other students in the lecture hall to laugh. All of them except me, because I was the sports director of the Cornell student-owned radio station, and in those days, you could actually know everything about and everybody in all the national sports off the top of your head, and usually that meant you could figure out all the teams in all the sports that had the slightest chance of succeeding, and all the teams in all the sports that did not, and the New York football giants did not. I want you to know I grade the papers, not the teaching assistants, me. And I happen to be a lifelong, therefore long-suffering fan of the New York football Giants. I saw my first Giants game in 1945. And over the years, I happen to have developed this habit of grading your papers on Sunday afternoons and evenings right after I watch my New York football Giants. So to some degree, great or small, your grade will depend on how well the New York football Giants do in this 1978 National Football League season. 199 of Joel Silby's students laughed. I emitted a low moan. Since they had gone to five NFL championship games in the six seasons ending in 1963 and lost all five, by the way, the Giants had had exactly two winning seasons and they had lost nine of 14 games the year before 1977. Though they had opened this 1978 season with a narrow victory over a very bad Tampa Bay team, and the first half of their schedule had as many as four more opponents who they might be better than, they would be lucky to win two games in the second half of the season. When I got back to the radio station, I looked at the Giants' schedule and Professor Silby's class schedule, and I circled one critical day when the schedules converged. Sunday, November 19, 1978. Our term papers were due on Thursday the 16th. He could actually read them all after the Giants-Eagles game that night and the following day. Amazingly, your New York football Giants actually opened the season winning three of their first four. In the middle of October, they were still five and three, and in the history lecture room, Professor Silby was very happy, and he often recreated highlights of his glorious Giants' pleasing success, and he was furiously fanboying on the new quarterback they'd brought in from the Canadian League, Joe Pisarchik. 
If you are a football history fan, or God forbid, a fan of the New York football giants, you already know where I'm going with this. The Giants lost the next three games, and then our term papers were due on November 16th, and Joel Silby turned morose. And I was at the radio station watching the Giants-Eagles game of the 19th on a big black-and-white TV in the lounge when my nightmare unfolded. Impossibly. The Giants led the much better Philadelphia Eagles 14-0 after the first quarter. Pisarchik threw two touchdown passes. After the third quarter, it was still 17-6 Giants. Then the Eagles scored, and they were driving to go ahead with a minute and a half left in the game when the impossible happened. Deep in Giants territory, the Philly quarterback threw an interception. With 83 seconds left, and in possession of the ball, the Giants led 17-13. The crowd at the radio station was ecstatic. I was even more ecstatic. All the Giants now had to do was stall and have the quarterback fall on the ball maybe twice. As if he had heard me, the quarterback, Joe Pisarczyk, fell on the ball. Then he nearly killed me by handing the ball off to his running back, Larry Zonka, who plowed up the middle to get a first down and burn another 30 seconds off the clock. The Eagles called their last timeout. 31 seconds left. 31 seconds to my grade in Joel Silby's 19th century American history class, probably ending up being a half or maybe even a full grade better than I deserved. All Joe Pisarczyk had to do was fall on the damn ball again, and it was over. However, on the Giants' sideline, offensive coordinator Bob Gibson decided that the safe play, the winning play, was for Joe Pisarczyk to hand the ball off again to Larry Zonka. Now, that might have been the right play, only Bob Gibson and everybody else failed to tell Larry Zonka. Larry Zonka assumed he was there just to block for Joe Pisarczyk as Joe Pisarczyk collapsed to the turf and ran out the clock and got me a better grade. Instead... Pisarczyk handed the ball to where Zonka's hands should have been, except Larry Zonka was in a blocking stance, and Pisarczyk, in fact, handed it off directly to Larry Zonka's helmet. I screamed. The ball bounced once off the turf and directly into the hands of Philadelphia cornerback Herman Edwards. I continued to scream. There was nobody near Edwards, and he scooted 26 yards into the end zone, and the Giants lost the damn game 19-17 in the last seconds. And as the Giants fans at the radio station shouted or moaned or swore, I could see Professor Joel Silby shutting off the TV, grabbing our papers, and sentencing us to hell. And I continued to scream. Our term papers were returned on Tuesday the 21st, just before school broke for Thanksgiving. I actually was thankful. I got either a B or a B plus. I can't find the paper. It should be somewhere in a box. There was a rumor, which I was never able to confirm, that my B or B plus was the highest grade in the class. I can confirm... I saw classmates, most far more prepared and astute than myself, most of them history majors, looking at their grades and blanching visibly. One girl cried, a C? Really? A C? Professor Joel Silby said much of our grade would depend on how well the New York football giants did in that 1978 National Football League season, and my God, they had just sustained a loss so bad that it is still talked about to this day. My classmates did not listen And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. There is a postscript. The postscript takes place 32 and one half years later. 
I returned to Cornell in March of 2011 to give a lecture and teach a series of classes to students who no longer afterwards felt they had gotten their full money from the university. My alma mater was very kind to me. They gave me a tour of the secret places they never would have shown me when I was a struggling student, like where they kept Cornell's copy of the Gettysburg Address, and they promised me something special for lunch the first day. And sure enough, I was dropped off at a restaurant, and there, rising from a table to greet me with applause, were Cornell's official historian and former professor Glenn Altshuler and their very famous history professor Walter Lefebvre, and I swear, Professor Joel Silby. And they were fans of mine. Of course, I could not leave well enough alone. After a few minutes of very pleasant conversation with Mr. Altshuler and Professor Lefebvre and Professor Silby, I brought up the 1978 term paper Joe Pisarchik handoff story. Professor Lefebvre looked at Professor Silby like Professor Silby was out of his mind. Is that true? And Silby smiled and said, yes, yes it is. And then Joel Silby looked off into the distance, as if he were peering backwards through time. 1978, that's when you could really enjoy being a professor. He then looked back at me and smiled. Keith, you won't believe this, but I actually graded those papers pretty fairly, and I, I didn't follow through on my original plan. After the fumble, I actually turned off the TV, and I sat there for a few minutes, and I asked my soul if it was okay for me to take my revenge on the universe by failing all of you. Lefebvre gulped. Oh, said Sylvie, it was so great to be a professor back then. I laughed so much I had tears in my eyes, and then Sylvie said, okay, okay, maybe I was a little unfair to you guys, but, you know... It's the Giants. And you have to take this as a whole. The year they won their first Super Bowl, what was that, 86? The final exam in that class was like two days after they finished the regular season 14 and 2, 8 o'clock in the morning. So I go to the final, see, which I never do. And I waited until they were all sitting there sweating. And I said, remember last September when I told you your grade will depend on how well the New York football Giants do in this 1986 National Football League season? And it was just silence. And I said, well, if you didn't notice, they went 14-2. and two, And I haven't been this happy since when they won the title in 1956. So guess what? There's no final exam. And nobody moved. So I said it again. There's no final exam. Go home. Go study for something else. Y'all get A's. And then there was a couple of seconds of silence. And they all simultaneously realized I was not kidding. And everybody cheered and ran out into the sunshine. So, with me and Professors Altshuler and Lefebvre now in tears, Silby said, See? It evens out. And I said, The hell it does. I graduated in 1979. How does a canceled final in 1986 even it out for me, fella? Joel Silby thought for a second, and then he said, Well, I am buying you lunch. done all the damage i can do here thank you for listening countdown has come to you from our studios high atop the sports capsule building here in new york here are the credits most of the music arranged produced and performed by brian ray and john philip chanel 
They are the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Howard Feynman. Everything else was pretty much my fault. That's countdown for this, the 973rd day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on a e crime central crave adventure explore asian action movies on hayah searching for something extreme check out skating snowboarding and more on fuel tv plus the global home of action sports and find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote 